Listen, I speak as one of many who has seen. Everyone is telling the stories, though few understand what it means. Eyes wide, jaws drop. Now we write so nothing's forgot. I speak as one of many who has seen. Everyone's trying to tell the story, but don't yet know what it means. We saw it ourselves, eyes wide, jaws drop. Now we write it so nothing's forgot. Like back in the day, our heroes knew the power of stories and what they could do. How their own memories of pain and victory would become a force to shape our history. When the sun stood still and the sea was split, when donkeys talked and the bush was lit, eyes wide, jaws drop, they wrote it for us so nothing's forgot. Even now, do you hear an echo of the voices all around town? So I picked up my pen and wrote it down with as perfect detail as I could give my moments with Jesus and how he lives. As a doctor who gave up medicine for miracles to follow this man who they called heretical, eyes wide, jaws drop. I write it for you, Theo, so you cannot be stopped. Within a shadow of a doubt, these words are true. It's a gift to believe, to feel and know what we've seen. Eyes wide, jaws drop. Now we write it so nothing's forgot. I want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us right now in our traditional sanctuary or online. I'm really glad you're here. We've got a journey to take together. You just heard about it. You heard the first few verses of a biography of Jesus, well, a modern adaptation of the first few verses of a biography of Jesus called The Gospel According to Luke, and we're going to be doing that together. Hey, before we get started today, I want to invite our ushers to come forward right now. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, first of all, that's okay. We didn't warn you hardly at all. So uh, if, you want to, if you would like to use a Bible, one of my goals for this series is that we'll all learn like how to find stuff and read it for ourselves and apply it to our lives. So our ushers are coming up. I'm going to give you page numbers in a little bit. Please wave at them, flag them down somehow. We'd love to let you use a Bible during this service. And you can just stick it on the shelves in the back of either one of our worship venues after the service today. I'll, I'll tell you about, about more about that in just a minute. But before we get started with this according to Luke thing, and before I tell you what that means, let me start by giving you an image to kind of set the scene for what journey we're taking. Those of you who are in this room, you may have wondered, what's underneath this mysterious white cloth up here, right? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me unveil it for you. How many of you guessed that what's under this cloth right here would be Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head? <laughs> Nobody, right? Nobody thought that's what it was going to be. Hey, I, so yesterday afternoon, my uh, wife and my daughter and I, believe it or not, put these things together. My lovely daughter created this very creative pirate right here. Also, this little guy, uh, Junior Spud or whatever his name's supposed to be. Isn't that cute? Oh, oh, yeah. I don't make that sound very often, so if that didn't, doesn't sound good, I don't know. Hey, I have pretty fond memories of playing with Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head dolls when I was a kid. I remember playing with my cousins, Jason and Christian. I don't know why I remember that in particular, but I remember playing with these. I think one of the reasons that I liked playing with these toys, or my memories of this are fond, is because it allowed me to do something creative without having to know how to draw or color or paint or cut or paste or anything else that all the rest of you know how to do that I was never any good at. And I remember that we would like try to make them like look just like us. Like if I put dark brown hair, if he had glasses. So I made this one look just like me. Did it work? Do you think? Is that? I don't know. Maybe not exactly. Right. So, uh, you know, I, we played with them as a kid. Nowadays, as an adult, I've had over the last like decade of my life, different 
less fond experiences of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. My kids are a little older now, so we're kind of getting through this phase. But for a number of years, whenever I saw these things, they were never assembled. If they were assembled, they didn't match. But most of the time, they were just pieces of arms and stuff that I could step on on the floor during the night and hurt my foot. <laughs> Have you ever done that? And that's actually the image of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head that made me think of them in connection with this journey that we're beginning today. Right, sometimes what I think of is as the pieces are kind of all torn off and strewn across the floor, or maybe even mismatched. Like this pirate dude right here, what if we took, what if we took the parrot off of his arm? I think of this guy as being a construction worker because hard hat. So he's, he's parrot holding construction worker right now. And maybe, well, hold on, maybe he also likes to wear the ear and the earring from this person over here, and he wears the parrot on his arm, if I can even accomplish that. Let's see, put the parrot on one of these arms over here. And maybe, actually, this is my favorite part. Can you hold the parrot? There we go. Well, my favorite part is this. Instead of normal eyes, I'm taking the hat off too. What if he had Spider-Man eyes? I dig that. Spider-Man eyes, right? And then he likes to wear this little hat right there. And maybe, oh, to go with the Spider-Man eyes... Ooh, that's not good. I've also got, check this out. I like this part right here. Ooh, that's not good. All right, here we go. Okay, there we go. He's also got web-slinging arm. Right? I love that. Okay, that's probably enough of me playing with toys at the beginning of the message. This is the way that my life feels sometimes, right? Where I'm not one unified, put-together person living one life that all fits together seamlessly. Instead, when my life is at its worst, it feels fragmented, right? Pulled in different directions, demented by being segmented into all these different compartments. Maybe you get this way. I feel like sometimes I've got like home life over here, a white arm with a parrot, and then I've got like the construction head over here. I've got my home life. I've got like work life, which for me is kind of also overlaps with church life and yet also not exactly the same. So that's even a little bit weird. And maybe then there's the part of life where you have time for hobbies. Anybody do hobbies anymore? I don't have a lot of time for that. Or fitness or like relationships or other friends or like community service and volunteer activities. And what I find when, when things are at the worst, it's that these things are all pulled apart from each other. So I feel like I'm Spider-Man in one place and a pirate in another and a construction worker or pulled apart, far apart from each other. And in each part of my life, I'm trying to like, I've got goals for this part of my life and goals for this part of my life, but they don't match. Like, it, yet there's only one of me. So how's that going to happen? Do you ever have a goal to spend more time on seven different areas of your life? How's that ever going to work? There's only one of me, right? Or there's certain ways of thinking that go with each part of your life, but those thoughts aren't all the same thoughts. Or there's a whole different set of relationships and friendships or professional that go with this area, this area, this area. You're like, how many networks of friends can I be my real self with, right? And that's why there's that unique feeling, I think, that happens when your worlds cross. And depending on how they cross, it might scare you or might encourage you, right? But then those worlds cross like that. Or what about values, you know? Do I operate by one set of values of what's important and right when I'm here, and another set of values when I'm here, another set of values when I'm here? It's no wonder we feel so scattered and torn apart, right? And I'm totally the only person this applies to, right? right? Life's not supposed to be like that. I think we all know that. And life doesn't have to be like that. And we are entering into a journey this year where we're going to find the difference that it makes in our lives when Jesus leads our lives. 
We're going to find how Jesus can heal, how his presence gives the power to put our scattered lives back together again. So we're going to see the difference that life with Jesus makes. Let me me give you a couple of ideas about how I've seen this work. What I've seen happens is when people come to know the character and the identity of God in Jesus rather than whatever else we made up or whatever else you learned and whatever tapes play in your head and whatever experiences you had early in life, when we come to find the character of God, the heart of our heavenly Father for us in Jesus, man, that has the power to heal our hearts from the inside out into all the scattered parts of our lives. It's like there's an infection of health on the inside that spreads into all the parts of our lives. What I've seen is that when people's lives come under and receive the teaching of Jesus for how we live, it gives us one single compass to use, one true north to guide our values and our priorities by, no matter which part of our lives we're in, and it gives us a center. I think what we're going to find is that when we not only learn some stories about a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, but rather experience the empowering presence of the Spirit of Jesus now. When the Holy Spirit of God comes to us as a community, we not only learn stories, but we're actually empowered, and I would go so far as to say rehumanized. We're made back into what God intends for us to be for our own lives and for the community that we're a part of, and it takes us places. Jesus empowers us and does things in us we could never do, left to our own devices. And if a community does that together... And when people share this journey together as a people and not just persons, but engage on this journey together as a community, it takes us farther and does different things in and among us than we ever could do when we're just left to ourselves, right? So what we get to do is we get to learn over the course of this journey. We get to learn how to think thoughts that aren't scattered in 10 different places. We get to think thoughts that are Christian thoughts, that are Christy, and they're worthy of being called Christian. We get to hope hopes that are not just any old hopes, but we have Christian hopes, We get to dream dreams that are Christian dreams that orient our lives toward a Christ-like goal, right? Over the course of this series, I hope that we learn to form priorities and make decisions and handle our stuff and our wealth and our possessions and pray prayers and form relationships in a way that's worthy of people who are being formed in apprenticeship to the master of life. Here's how we're going to do that. For the next nine months, from like now until the end of May, from Labor Day to Memorial Day, over the course of a program year, a school year, we're going to journey through a biography of Jesus called the Gospel According to Luke. We're going to sit together in our worship lives and in our growth groups together. We're going to sit together under the teaching of Jesus. We're going to fill our hearts and fill our minds and shape our imaginations with the story and the stories of Jesus so that we can learn how to think and live like Christians, right? so that we can learn how to, how to know what Jesus did and what he said and be formed for life together in his way. And, and a couple times throughout the year, we're going to go from Luke 1 through Luke 24. We're going to learn the story from beginning to end. And sometimes over the course of the journey, we're going to stop over certain topics and dig a little deeper and say, what else does the Bible have to say about that? And how does that apply to my life? Like in about six weeks, for example, we're going to stop and we're going to say, man, it seems like every passage, Jesus or his biographer Luke, keep talking about the Holy Spirit. What's that? And how does that work in my life? What's the Holy Spirit doing? We'll talk about that for a few weeks. Or like a couple months later, we're going to say, it seems like everybody in Jesus' life is coming from some kind of place of brokenness. 
and, and they experience a, a step of healing and transformation in their lives. What about our brokenness? What does that mean for us and the broken pieces of our lives? How will Jesus give us hope and move us toward transformation? When I talk about managing our stuff and how we pray and what does it mean to pray and talk to the divine maker of the universe, and we're going to move together. The goal of all this is that Jesus will take our potato head that <laughs> feels like half Spider-Man and half pirate and you know three-quarters whatever else on earth we are, and make us, on the one hand, look more like ourselves, right? look more like the people that God made us to be, which I think even more importantly means working in us together as a people so that we begin to look more and more like him, so that we're formed more and more in the way of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to start? Can we take a first step on that journey? Let's, let's get our feet wet here. If you have a Bible with you, would you please open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 1? If you're using this Bible right here, it's on page 1498. If, you like, if, if you're using your own Bible or something, put a bookmark in there. We're going to be using this book a lot for the next nine months, all right? While you're turning the page, let me set a little context for you. This story is going to be the story of God moving in some people's lives and it starts with God's movement in the lives of, of an elderly couple whose names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are ancient Israelites, Jewish people. They both happen to be from that tribe of ancient Israel, from that small segment of people who were the folks who especially served as priests in the temple in Jerusalem. And in fact, the story starts there in the temple in Jerusalem. It's Zechariah's turn to be leading worship among the people. And all the crowds are gathered, and it's the hour of prayer. Honestly, it's not the same, but it's kind of like right now when the people of God are gathered together for worship and God begins to move. And I want to read you what happens. God sends an angel to Zechariah. An angel's a messenger, and God has a message for, for and through Zechariah. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, and we're just going to read down to verse 17 right now. Here's what the angel says to Zechariah. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Every angel starts every message that way. Fear not. <laughs> Wouldn't that be tiring if you were an angel? I know, I know, the fear not part. Now I got a message for you. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. They're an elderly couple. They're childless, but that was not their desire in life. But now it says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a son named John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you. Of course he will. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Wow, not, why, why many? Why crowds? For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, which is a special kind of set-apart thing from an Old Testament symbol. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. There's that Holy Spirit we're going to talk about. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. Wait, who's that going to be? We'll find out. In the spirit and the power of Elijah, Old Testament prophet, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This angel tells Zechariah, God is about to do a new thing. God has, has looked at history and he's going to invade. He's going to move. He's seen something and he's going to do it in and through your family and it's going to be for everybody, right? And this, this is good news, right? And Zechariah should be going, this is so awesome. Instead, what Zechariah says, eh, how do I know that's going to happen, right? Uh, me and Elizabeth, were kind of old. I've never seen that happen before. And so then I want to show you what the angel says in response. This is some of my favorite verses, actually. This is a place where I wish we had the tone of voice version of the Bible. I would like to know how Gabriel said what he said in verses 19 and 20. The angel said to him, 
dude, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Hello. Okay, maybe it was different than that. I don't know. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And that's exactly what happens. Zechariah is in the temple. He sees the angel. He says, I don't know. How, how's that going to be? I don't really believe you. And the angel's like, you're not going to be able to speak until all this happens, until you have your son. And he can't. And so he goes outside to tell people what happened. He goes like, and no words come out. So he makes signs or something like that. And people realize that he has seen a vision in there in the temple, right? And Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And for the next nine months, she's pregnant and he can't talk. And the Bible does not tell us whether she's happier about the child. <laughs> all right, we'll just leave it there, all right? We go nine months forward, okay? So let me fast forward nine months. And I want to uh, read you a couple things of Zechariah's joy that comes. They, the baby's born, they name him John, and then he's able to speak again. And the first thing he does is praise God. The first thing is worship God. In Luke chapter 1, it's like one page later, page 1500 in the Quest Bibles, uh, Luke 1, 67. And uh, I'll read you just a few verses here. Uh, his father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna have to talk about that. And he prophesied, which just means he kind of spoke a word that God inspired. And he said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. I can talk again. <laughs> praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Hold on to that idea. He came to his people. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. God has come to us. He's visited us, right? And I'm going to skip to the end of this for a second. Go down to verse 78 with me. He's kind of finishing up, and he says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. And that rising sun, some of the translations feel differently. The mercy of God has dawned on us from on high because God has come to us or visited us. Most translations actually say visited us. And the word that's being translated there, it's, it's one of those words that something's going to get lost in translation no matter what. It's a word that doesn't appear in the Bible a whole lot, but it appears at all these key moments where the story turns, right? Like, for example, if you've been a, a part of our church before, if you've been in worship over the summer, we did this series on the book of Genesis, the first book in the whole Bible. And this is the word that describes how God came to these characters, Abraham and Sarah, who kind of kicked off the story. God saw them. And this, this word kind of means he saw with grace and favor and visited. He saw, he cared, he moved, right? As God came to Abraham and Sarah, he saw, same word. The next book of the Bible is Exodus, and at the turning point where God sees that the Israelites are enslaved to a people in Egypt, it says that God did this thing. He saw, he cared, he moved, he visited his people. We're actually going to see this a number of times throughout the Gospel of Luke, where I think Luke is using this word that he knows from the Bible, which we call the Old Testament, but at that point he just called it the Bible, that he knew from the Bible, this is the word I use when God sees and cares and moves and visits his people, right? So that's, Luke begins his story of Jesus like this, with Zechariah seeing what God has done, seeing that God has moved among his people, and the song begins there and it ends there, I, I think, what this biographer of Jesus is hoping that we'll pick up at the very beginning of the story, before the story of Jesus himself really even starts, is this sense that what we're about to read is a story of how God moved into the world, how God moved in the world to visit his people, to care for his people, to save his people, and he's going to spend the next 23 chapters going, God moved, your move. God moved, it's your move. Follow me, Jesus says. 
follow me. Now, as you think about that for a second, I want to show you one more thing, one more observation from this early part of the Gospel of Luke. Turn back a page, actually, probably, depending on your Bible. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 23. And uh, I've been reading this Gospel of Luke, rereading this Luke for months in preparation for this, and it's so rich and beautiful. And you know how sometimes the most important truths or something really striking jumps out in what you thought was a throwaway line or something? Like, you find out what somebody really thinks by the things that they say in between the times they thought you were listening, <laughs> you know, right? There, there's, a, there's one line here in Luke 1.23 that I think says more than we realize. It's speaking about Zechariah. After the story of the angel comes and visits him and while he's still not able to talk, it says in Luke 1.23, when his time of service was completed, when Zechariah's time of service was completed, he returned home. Okay? What kind of service? are we talking about here? We, we care a lot about one of our high values around here is serving other people. We want to serve one another. We want to serve our world together as a community. This is a little different kind of service than that. This is the kind of service that we're talking about when we use the word worship service. Zechariah's just been in the temple. He's part of the worship of his people. In fact, the word that's being translated there, there will not be a pop quiz on this Greek later, I promise, but the word that's being translated there is it's liturgia, and it's the word from which we get our word liturgy, which is kind of an old-fashioned word, but it means the active participation of God's people in worship, that we worship together, that we pray together, that we're together, joined in community and worship together. And what Luke says is that right after Zechariah did that, when he left the worship service, like you all are going to do in a few minutes, right? When his, when his service was over, when the service was over, then he went home. And that was the context of his worship service. That was the place where God moved, where God began this Jesus movement in the first place and then said, your move. That's how Luke chose to begin his story. What's so central about that? What, what is it that causes Luke to put the temple in the, in the first chapter, that causes Luke to start his story of Jesus' life and the movement that starts with Jesus in a worship service? Worship is where we gather together to be the people of God, to confess our need for God together. It's where we come together and say, God, we need you as a people to be formed. It's where we come together just as they did to sit under and before the word of God, to hear the stories of what God has done among his people, to hear the teaching of Jesus, to be shaped, to give us this compass that we move, to, move toward together as a people. It's where our, our souls are shaped for an alternative kind of life together. We, we come together in this place and we receive the vision of God for what kind of people are we going to be. And we're shaped together in heart and soul for everything, all the other critical things that we're going to do together when we leave this place. Right? Let, let me get real practical with you for a second about worship in our context. And I want to acknowledge two things. The, the first one is that worship is not typical, right? It's not a common thing to do. None of you woke up this morning, rolled over, and accidentally found yourself sitting in the rows that you're sitting in right now. You had to make a conscious choice to be here and not do something else. And in fact, for most of you, most of the people that you know in your lives are not in worship anywhere this morning, right? There's not enough church seats anywhere to house all the people if they all came to worship at one time. Most of the people you know are not in worship this morning. The other thing that I'd like to acknowledge is that not only is this a countercultural thing to do, it's also hard in some ways. Now, it's not probably like physically all that difficult. Maybe for some it really is, but maybe not for everybody. But here's what makes it hard, I think, for most of us. You have other things to do, right? You have other things to do, I know. 
Some, in fact, many of you have other things you'll be doing next week and might not be here next week. A lot, half of our church family is not here this morning, actually, because we have other things to do. I know what that's like. I mean, for some of you, your lives are very busy. They move very fast. Mine does too, faster than it really should. And this is the only morning all week that you could be resting. But those of you who are here chose to be here instead of that. But this could be your only morning of the week to sleep in. Maybe you should forget that next week. But this could be the only morning for that, right? <laughs> your lives are busy. You have work to do. Your boss expects you to respond to email on Sunday mornings or you got to catch up on things that you didn't do all week. You're way behind. You have something else to do. We're entering into the season of the year where this is not going to happen anymore. But at least for this last season, you know what, you know what else is true on Sunday morning? The grass isn't going to mow itself, right? I mean, you get out there, mow the grass, and you come back, read the paper when you're done, something like that. There are other things that you could do. I'm a parent. Those of you who are parents, I, I understand this very well. My kids are 13 and 10 right now. And what I have found is there are people who are more than willing to fill up their Sunday mornings with recitals and rehearsals and practices and games and tournaments and all kind of stuff, right? And you know what's, what I found, much to my shock, right? They don't care that we have something else to do on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. They simply don't care, right? You have other things to do, I understand. I sympathize, and I have no idea how to schedule your lives. I really would not pretend to know how to schedule the priorities in your lives. But I'm going to afflict you with something this morning. <laughs> I'm going to afflict you with something with which one of my mentors afflicted me years ago, and on my better days, I'm grateful for it. One of my mentors, my pastoral mentor, his name was Bill, his wife was Cindy, and I would sometimes be at their house. This is like 15 to almost 20 years ago now. And when I would go over there, they had this plaque above the table where they sat and ate most of their meals. And they told me how uncomfortable this plaque made them when I pointed it out once. Let me show you what it said on this plaque. Can we put that slide up right now? It said, you always have time for the things you put first. Oh, I don't like reading that. And they told me, we hate having that there because every time we say, I don't have time for that, what we mean is that's not as important to me as something else, right? I mean, every choice you make is a priority of some kind. Thanks for taking that down right away because it's uncomfortable to look at, isn't it? I don't want to hurt us any more than we need to. I, I understand that we all live busy lives and so do I. And yet I'm going to tell you, I really believe that worship is important enough to make time for. And some of you right now are like, duh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that. <laughs> which I totally get. I really do. It kind of diminishes my credibility by 50%. But I'll just say this in my, in my own defense. Your doctor thinks diet and exercise are important, and it doesn't make him or her wrong, right? They know something about that. Worship is really important. It's important because we need God together. Because your presence and your prayers and your participation matter not only to you, but also to the people around you. You don't come here because our pastors are so brilliant and you need to hear us. Right? I mean, Pastor Angie really is brilliant. You maybe want to come just for her, but she would say, don't even do that for her. You don't need to come here just because our musicians are so awesome, and they are. We come together for worship because we're part of each other, and we need God together. What you do out in the hallways, the hands you shake, the people you welcome, the shoulders you sit next to in worship, the people that you greet, the names that you get to know, the prayers that you pray, they matter in the formation of your soul, and if you're here with friends or family, in their souls, and they matter to everybody else who's here. This is the place where we come together, where we show up for worship, where we engage with what God is doing, we consciously engage with what God is doing in our lives. Hopefully we grow in response to God's word and we're formed together as a different people, as an alternative community to live a more hopeful and better way of life, as a witness to the world of the grace and power of God. It matters. 
and I want life for you. I want a life that's centered for you. I want a life for you that doesn't feel like a pirate parrot over here and Spider-Man eyes up here and whatever construction worker hat over here, but one integrated life serving one purpose, even when you live life in different venues, that it's always the same you, transformed by the same spirit, living for the same Lord, according to the same teaching, with the same values. I want life for you. And so I want to invite you and challenge you to seek that center, to, to make a commitment to God over the course of this journey by making a commitment to worship together with your church family, but by putting your place in that place where God moved and continually says to us, your move. And I want to challenge you today, maybe even in the minutes that follow in this worship service or later by yourself, if that's what fits your life circumstances or with family or friends, and say, what am I going to do? Like practically, what steps am I going to take to make this a priority in my life this year? Because according to Luke, this is where the Jesus stuff starts. This is where the story begins. According to Luke, this is the centering force for the story that holds all the pieces together. And we're going to learn a lot of pieces he brings it together right here in his very first tone-setting story, that this is the context in which God moved, and he started the Jesus movement that changed the world. And thankfully for us, God is still in the heart-changing business, right? And he is still in the world-changing business, and we get to be a part of it. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that by your grace you have seen us you have seen us in your grace, and you have not left us alone, but you have moved. You have visited your people. You visited your people to turn the story when you brought Jesus into this world, and you're still here by the power of your spirit. And God, we pray that you would move in us, and that you would move among us, and that you would strengthen us by your spirit to hear what you're calling and to make our move to come to you. God, we pray that by your spirit, you would draw us close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.